0: like to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Psalms. We'll be in Psalm one fifteen this week. And if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you there in the rows, it'll be page five hundred and ten. Okay, so page 510 of those Bibles. And, and listen, uh, if you do not own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible that we provided there in the rows as a gift from our church. We also have some other free resources and some resources that uh, you can purchase or take uh, for free over here uh, to our, my left, your right, uh, this morning. So uh, let me pray again, and then uh, we will uh, dive into God's word. Father, thank you for uh, these truths that we have sung together Lord, that Jesus is our cornerstone. He's he's our rock. He's our hope. He is the one that we can lean on and and trust in. And so, Father, we pray that that you would be very real to us this morning. Uh, Father, that you would make Christ real to us this morning, that your spirit would work in our lives to open our eyes and open our hearts to how you want to work in us. So, Lord, as we open your word, we pray That your spirit would not only help us to understand, but help us to move from this place and obey you as you lead us. God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in our church and in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was during my sophomore year of college that our church sent a mission team over to Hong Kong, China to do some work with some missionaries there amongst the Kowloon people. And we had the the privilege of working with a missionary whose name was Scott Smith. Now, one of the things I'll never forget about Scott is that he looked exactly like Robin Williams, okay, the actor, from the eyes to the nose to his smile. I mean, I kind of, like, am I... Matt Damon and Goodwill hunting right now, you know, like kind of hanging out? Or is this just a missionary? And it turns out it was just a miss- missionary. But, um, but after we kind of got over the fact that he looked so much like Robin Williams, we really began to hang on every word that he had to say about what life was like in Hong Kong, as well as what missions looked like in Hong Kong. And so he was a great missionary and a great teacher, because no matter what it was, if we were doing a morning devotional, if we were riding the bus through the city, he was constantly investing in us, trying to help us understand what it meant to serve the gospel to the people of Hong Kong. So I can remember one particular afternoon, we were on a double-decker bus making our way through the city, and we were just passing temple after temple after temple, mostly Buddhist temples where worshipers would go in and he would describe the practices of the worshipers where they would go in before these idols made of wood and stone and they would fall down before the idols. They would pray to them. They would stay there and meditate. Sometimes they would even offer sacrifices to these idols. And as he was explaining this to us, he quoted the words from what we're gonna look at this morning in Psalm 115. These idols are the work of human hands. These idols have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, mouths but cannot speak, and those who worship them and all who trust in them become like them. And so we learned so much about idolatry on that trip. i had never seen idolatry like I saw idolatry on that trip. But what I did not understand then, that I understand so much more now, is this, that we do not have to have a a little figurine made of wood or or metal or some construction to be idolaters. At the essence of all sin is idolatry. Idolatry is, is supplanting the rightful place of God with lesser pursuits, a lesser authority, and lesser affections that truly belong to God. And so what I've learned since that time is that I, like you, am an idolater. I'm really good at finding ways to substitute my affection for God with affection for other things in my life. And the Bible tells us, okay, don't miss this. Even from the earliest chapters in Genesis, the Bible tells us that we are wired for glory. We, we naturally, it's because of who God has made us. He has made us to, to want to see glory and then to chase after that glory. So if, if you think about beauty, power, success, achievement, they all draw, draw us in because they hold reflections of glory. And so, what we need to understand is that God alone is truly glorious, and therefore, He is the one who is truly worthy of our worship. And praise and affection. And that is exactly what Psalm 115 is going to teach us this morning. So I want to read this psalm for us in its entirety. But as I read it, I want you to recognize that this psalm, the psalms are songs, right? We just sang some songs. The psalms are a songbook for the people of Israel and now for the church, even. And, and but these songs are actually also prayers to God, and that's how most of our songs are. What we sing at Redemption Hill. Not only do they declare life giving truth and the hope that we have in Christ, but they also express prayers to God, by which we are asking Him to work and to receive the glory and do His name. So so let's read this uh, prayer song together in Psalm one fifteen. This is what the psalmist writes: Not to us, O Lord not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. All right, so this psalm teaches us this simple truth, that God is glorious and he is worthy of our trust and praise. Simple as that. God is glorious and he is worthy of our trust and praise. We discover in these first three verses, that God is glorious and he is worthy of all glory. We saw how the psalm begins. The the psalmist starts and he says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. And why is he praying this? Well, we can see then from verse two that this was a time of, of challenge, of adversity, of perhaps persecution on the people of God, something that we see throughout the Bible as well as we see throughout today. There are those who scoff at the notion of God. They they mock our particular understanding of who God is and what he's like. And so they they say, when times are bad and suffering hits, they say, where is your God? If your God cared, if he was loving, surely he would would make himself known. Or if your God was powerful, could do something about it, surely he would do something about it. And so we hear this mocking and scoffing of God. Where is your God in times like these? And this is what people of israel were experiencing here it seems as the psalm was written and reflected upon and so hence the prayer if if the name of god which we can think name and think reputation honor uh, glory if 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 that is is under uh, duress or attacked then our prayer should be god give your name glory when the glory of God is challenged, because God is jealous for his glory, we also should be jealous for the glory of God. And so we should pray, God, glorify your name. Show people how glorious you are. But if we're going to pray that prayer, we should ask, well, then what is the glory of God? Some of you will remember our last Sunday at Springstep. It was a few months ago now, uh, I guess the, the, the second Sunday in September, we looked at Romans 11, 33 through 36, a sermon on the glory of God. We said that our church, we want our church to be about the glory of God. That is our mission. We exist to glorify God. So what then is the glory of God? Well, we could define the glory of God like this. The glory of God is the display of his manifold perfections. It is the going public of his intrinsic worth. So we talked about the greatness of God last week. We could say that the glory of God is the greatness of God, who he is in his character and his work for people to see. It's out there. It's displayed for people to know who God is, that he is the one who is truly glorious. And so this is why we should pray as I mentioned last week, and it's too good not to mention again, we should pray regularly, daily. It should be the in, in, inclination of our heart, even if our words are not expressing it explicitly. Okay, now it's a mouthful, but you feel me. All right, that, that, that Father, hallowed be your name. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. God, may your name, your character be esteemed, honored, valued, treasured, worshipped. So in your prayer life, is that, is that kind of where your heart is before God? Is your greatest concern, God, may your name be glorified? I know we all have room to grow in this, but I would say in your prayers this year, well, let's, let's remember how Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, what I love about this is is what the psalmist does is he appeals to who God is. He says, God, you are glorious, and so I'm going to pray in accordance with your glory. God, you are full of steadfast love and faithfulness, so I am going to ask that you, for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, would glorify your name. See, what's going on here is the psalmist wants people to know how awesome God is, how loving God is, and how faithful God is. By the way, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is kesed. We have a kesed in our church who's an adult. We have a kesed who's a two-year-old. That's my daughter. The Hebrew word for faithfulness is emet, Pastor John's, and Ms. Lee have a son named Emmett, all right? So just in case you want to know why we have these funny names for our kids, it's because we value the character of God, right? Not that you have to do that in every case, but you just wanted you to know, all right? But, but the point is, and this may be a good tool, like when you see Keset and Emmett, you're reminded steadfast love, faithfulness, and we should pray. We should ask God to reveal his character to us. This is what's going on in the Prophet Daniel, chapter nine, verses 18 and 19. He's, he prays like this, "O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. The greatest concern of our life should be the glory and the fame of God. So then when the nations and when... People in our city and in our, in our nation say, where is your God? And I'm sure you hear this all the time. You know what? With humility and with confidence, you can answer with the rebuttal that we find in verse 3, which says what? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. <laughs> Where is your God? I'll tell you where our God is. Our God is in the heavens. He reigns. He's sovereign. He's king. And whatever God wants to do is what he does. And everything God does, he is pleased to do. That's the kind of God I want to know, serve, follow, and worship. And so look at what all we learn about the character of God. Just in this one little verse. This is one of the reasons we're going through this G series because we want to know God because as we exposed last week, the most urgent need in our lives in the church is our knowledge of God because that affects everything about us. So what do we learn about God? Well, number one, God is personal and he is present. Just look at the first Word, our this personal pronoun. He is our God. God is a relational God. God is triune, Father, Son, Spirit, all eternally existing in perfect harmony and relationship. And now He's made us in His image not only to know Him but to care about and love one another. So He is personal, He is also present. Our God is. He He is, He exists, He cares, He's not detached from us. Secondly, God is transcendent and he is sovereign. Look at this. Our God is in the heavens. In any time of suffering, of course, other times as well, but particularly in times of suffering, what we need is a God who is is near, he's personal, he's present, he cares, he loves us, but we also need a God who is transcendent and sovereign and powerful enough not only to change our circumstances, perhaps if he wills, if he pleases, but to carry us through whatever circumstance, whatever trial, whatever suffering we may be facing in this life. This is the kind of God we need, and this is the kind of God the Bible is, the God of the Bible. So God is personal and present. He's transcendent. He's sovereign. And finally, he is powerful and he is free. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So just let this sink in for a moment, okay? This this goes against our idolatrous hearts that want to be in control. So, So God is not subject to anyone or anything. We will never be in a position where we can tell God what to do. It just will never work. Now, can we make requests because God is personal and he loves us and he is near? Absolutely. But we never tell God what to do because God is not like us. You see, I want you to understand this. There are some theologies, and even you might hear this in in a theology class, a simple way of explaining God, but a very heretical way of explaining God is to say, you know what, God is is kind of like the most perfect human being you could conceive of, and you just ratchet it up a few notches, and that's who God is. And that's perfectly wrong, okay? God is creator. We are creation. God is perfectly independent. He is free. He does whatever he wills. We are perfectly dependent on him. God is self-existent. He's self-sufficient. The reason you will take the next breath in here this morning is because God has allowed you to take your next breath. This is not the case with God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever pleases him. Now, now here's what we have. This, this call to give God glory in verses one through three, then trail down into a contrast in verses four through eight. So this point covers all eight verses here, okay, where then you have this contrast with idolatry. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. As we hopefully established already, all of us have an an issue with idolatry. So so while we would look at these idols, maybe that we would find in some kind of temple, we we would say, oh, that's idolatry. But, but, But don't miss the irony both for that form of idolatry, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, mouths but cannot speak but take that and chase that into your own life, into the idols of your own heart. I pray that God would open our eyes to help us see the idolatry that plagues us. The gods of prestige and approval have a mouth but cannot speak. The God of sex has eyes but cannot see. The God of money has ears but it cannot hear. The gods of success and achievement, they have noses but cannot smell. The gods of of comfort, power, have hands but do not feel. So what is your God? We have this uncanny ability to chase after idols in our life, things that we hold up, that we believe will ultimately satisfy us, ultimately fulfill our hopes. And so often, even for those who are in with Christ and follow Christ, we we slip into thinking that our hope can be fulfilled in this relationship, this new salary, this new opportunity. And so some have called idols functional saviors. Think about that. Functional saviors, they, they functionally serve as gods to us, saviors for us, so that if you take money away and possessions away from some people, what happens is they just crumble, driven to the point of despair. Man, my life is not worth living because I don't have the amount of material possessions that I think that I need. Functionally, if some people lose approval in the sight of co-workers, then they lose all motivation to go and and to work hard and to do well in their job. Here's a statement that you can hang on to to maybe test and see what idols may be in your life. Uh, Listen to this. Life only has meaning if... And you just fill in the blank. Life only has meaning if I am being recognized for my accomplishments. Or how about this? I only have worth if. I only have worth if this person that I really love loves me back. So what do you worry about the most? What would cause you despair if you lost it? What brings you the greatest joy in life? What do you put your hope in? Because however you answer those questions is probably going to tip you off to idols that often will creep up in your heart. And so our call as human beings is to not worship and serve any created thing, but to worship and serve our creator. Don't miss what happens in verse 8. The results of idolatry are grave. Look at what it says. It says, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. An idol is what? It is It is in reality, it is worthless, and it is useless. Can't see, can't hear, can't speak, can't give you life, can't fulfill your hopes. So when you trust in an idol, the Bible says very frankly, your life will become useless and worthless. What a warning for us. Not to trust in any idol, but to trust in the living God who gives us life, who fills us with His Spirit, who gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good and faithfulness, self control, and all of these things that we need in life, wisdom, boldness. So let me ask you this Will you live to make a great name for yourself, or will you live to show the greatness of God? It's probably going to be one of these two options. Will you live to make a great name for yourself or will you live to show the greatness of God? God is glorious and he is worthy of all glory. Number two, because God is glorious, we should trust him for his help and his blessing. Look back in verse nine, okay? You have the contrast with verse eight and then verse nine. It says then, O Israel, trust in the Lord. Do you see what's going on there? At the end of verse eight, it says, all who trust in them become like them. So the psalmist is saying, don't don't trust in idols, trust in the Lord. Let's look at verses 9 through 15, uh, 16. It says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the great and the small. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. Did you hear all of the repetition that is going on in this song? Some people can be critical of songs that have the same chorus repeated again and again. And that's why we also sing hymns at Redemption Hill because hymns are loaded with a lot of theological depth and meaning. But we also sing praise songs that have really good lyrics in the verses, but also have choruses that we can remember again and again because repetition has value for our souls. There's this call, trust, trust, trust. So trust is not simply saying, oh, yeah, I understand this is what we're saying about God. God is personal. God is sovereign. God is near. He does whatever he pleases. And it's not simply not only understanding that and then approving of that, but saying, okay, yeah, I buy that. God really is free. God really is powerful. God really is personal. That's step two of faith. But it's not just understanding and approving. It is understanding, approving, and trusting in who God is. So trust is throwing ourselves upon who God is to, to maybe provide a picture. If, if you were in a burning house, All right, we pray that that never happens. But if you were in a burning house and you had to jump out of a second story window or whatever the case may be, you would be looking for something that you could jump on that would hold you up. Maybe it's a deck, maybe it's a limb that you can kind of fly onto and hold onto. I don't know, but but whatever it is, you're looking for something that can sustain you and uphold you in that moment. And when you take the leap, that is trusting in whatever that object is to hold you up, and this is what faith is like. It's not simply understanding or approving, but it is throwing yourself upon who God is, trusting in him like that. So then we also then have the refrain, he is their help and shield, he is their help and their shield, he is their help and their shield, he will bless, he will bless, he will bless. And we should pause and say, why do we have so much repetition in the Bible? Well, number one, I would say it helps ingrain it into your mind. The fact that we read trust, 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 and that I've said trust, 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 you're probably gonna be thinking about trust this week. You know what I'm saying? I hope you are. He is our help. He is our shield. He is our help. He is our shield. He will bless us. He will bless us. He will bless us. Not only does it ingrain it in our minds, but it should build confidence. This is true. God really wants to help us. God really is our shield. God really wants to bless us. And the blessings of God are any gift that he gives us. Simple as that. A blessing is anything that comes from the hand of God, which carries benevolent force, his intention to to be good to us as his children. And oh, by the way, as we head into 2014, most of the time we're wired, and sometimes when you listen to preachers on TV, you hear about blessing, and the only thing they're talking about blessing is money, and it makes me sick. Because the greatest blessing we could ever have is the blessing of God himself. That's what I want. And we should seek it. We should ask for it. We should go to God. God, give me more of you. Give me your blessing. Give me your help. Be my shield. Help me to trust in you. This is the reason Jesus came. Do you remember this from Galatians 3? We just went through Galatians in the fall. Jesus became a curse for us so that so that through him we might have life we might we might have the blessing of God resting on, on us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us as it is written cursed is everyone who has hung on a tree so if you want blessing in your life if you want to relate to God and know God and love God and worship God then it has to come through Christ he is the one who distributes. The, the blessings of God are distributed through Christ by the Spirit today. So we should praise God. God is glorious. We should, we should certainly trust him for his help and his blessing. But then finally, number three, not only do we have every reason to trust, but we have every reason to praise God both now and forevermore. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says this, the dead... Do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So what is praise? Praise is our attempt to give God glory. It's our attempt to give God glory. Praise is our announcement of the worth of God. And so one of the ways we praise God and the, the way that we probably typically associate the word praise and worship with God is by expressing that in song. And that's certainly something that we should love to do. It's one of the things that I love about coming to worship on Sundays, the opportunity not just to sing songs solo, but to come together and sing them with you. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak mate. I'm just joking. You get it though. You know, it's like You didn't know I was going to do that. Micah, eh? if you need some help, now I'm teasing. Um, so, So when we come together and we praise God in song, but that's not the only way we should express our praise to God in words. We should praise him with our words wherever we may be found. And not only that, Not only do we praise Him with the words, because a lot of people want to talk a good game about God, but they don't want to back it up with their actions. So we praise God with our words, we praise God with our lives. And then I really love this this is cool, okay? As you praise God with your life, you have the opportunity to praise Him with your words. You follow me? So let's just, for example, someone says, Oh, you're so kind you have an opportunity in that moment to do one of two things. You can say thank you, which would be gracious and would probably be a nice thing to do, you know, instead of just, you know. But the second option would be to say, thank you, God has been very kind to me. That's not very hard. And you're already into the gospel. You're already in the gospel. God has displayed his kindness to us by giving us an opportunity to know him. We see the kindness of God expressed in the cross of Christ. I mean, it's just, we're right into the gospel when we respond like that. Or how about this? Someone may say, You're such a servant. All right? We had volunteer appreciation yesterday. And rumor has it that one of our pastors actually rapped a song of appreciation to all of our serve team participants, okay? It was, it was a lot of fun. You should have been there. Um, so get on the serve team. But, uh, but, 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 but someone says, you're such a servant. You can say thank you, or you could say, you know what, God has served me so clearly through Christ that I can't do anything but seek to serve him. How about this one? You love your, your wife so much. You could say, you know what? She actually loves me a lot better than I love her. You thought I was going to go. But, 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 then, but then they say, well, but you're so humble. You're so humble. And then you can say, you know what? Man, you want to know love. You want to know humility. You just look at Christ. See there, we, we praise God with our, our actions. We praise him with our words. We communicate who he is. And here's the thrust of verse 17. This is is what's going on. There should be a sense of urgency to our praise. What does verse 17 say? The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. So, So while we have breath, while our heart is beating, we should live to praise God. From the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, the name of the Lord shall be praised. Psalm 113, verse 3. And then we ask the question, well, well, what is this? The dead do not praise the Lord? Does that mean that everyone who dies no longer has an opportunity to praise the Lord? And when you have a question like that, a theological question where it seems like this verse doesn't line up with what we see in the rest of the Bible about how we will spend either eternity with God or without God and all those who with God will praise him and actually all those who do not spend eternity with God will still glorify him in the judgment, by the way. But, 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 but when you have those questions... Here's a great principle of interpretation. You just keep reading, all right? Just keep reading because verse 18 answers the question. He says this, but we will bless the Lord both from this time forth and forevermore, forevermore. This life, the next life, all eternity, we will spend praising God. So last Sunday, we talked about a vision for our church. And this Sunday we've called, something new for us this year, we're we're calling this Commitment Sunday. And let me just be very clear, any commitment that we make as individuals or as a church, everything we do, every plan, every ministry effort to see the gospel built and take root among us, to, to look at our community and see how we can build up our community of faith here at Redemption Hill and to be about the mission of God, everything we do is aimed at giving God glory. This is why we do what we do. And so we asked three questions last week as we talked about our vision. We said, what is one specific commitment you will make to own this gospel vision in 2014? There were commitments. You have them on your, on your, your, your handout there. Of ways that we want to see God at work in our church, and so there, there are little steps that each of us can take to helping fulfill that gospel vision. then, then next, we, we asked, what is one specific commitment you will make to own this vision for community? Maybe church membership, it may be getting involved in a community group. it may be inviting coworkers to help make this church be a more diverse church, which is what we love about what God is doing here in our church. Then we talked about mission. What is one specific commitment you will make to to own this missional vision in 2014? So so consider that. Will you you share the gospel? Will you pray more intentionally? Will you give more generously? Whatever, Whatever commitment you are ready to make today, every action, every word, Everything that we do is an opportunity, don't miss this, to display the glory of God. So we're saying God is glorious, and that is absolutely true, but we are also saying that when we submit our lives to God and place what we do into his hands, he has now the opportunity to distribute his glory through us. Some of you don't believe that. It's it's like too good to be true. It's too huge to feel like it's true that God would take the light of Christ, the light of the world, insert that light into us and say, shine and let people know how good I am. Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We are light because we have Christ. Christ. So now every good thing we do in his name, every good thing that we do to live out the gospel, to be in community with one another, to be about the mission of God, everything we do, it is an opportunity to distribute the glory of God. So what is it going to be for you? How are you going to own the vision? I mean, this is really about pulling people into the heart of God. This is what we're trying to do, okay? Just cards on the table. The intention is to pull people into the heart of God, make commitments that would look like a follower of Christ, like I'm going to seek God like I've never seen Him before. I'm going to commit my life to loving others and building others up. I'm going to try to share my faith. I mean, this is what Christians do, right? And so we're saying we want to do this in the context of this church. Simple as that. So as God leads you and as you pray and as you seek Him, I'm sure you've been doing this over the past week. It's an opportunity for us to love him and to serve him. So let me just anticipate a few objections. Some of you might say, well, Tanner, you know what? I don't have the time. this uh, is a great idea, and some of these things are going to buy them and all this, but I really don't have the time. Well, here, here's an encouragement. Prioritize and make sacrifices. We all have the same amount of time in life. We have to prioritize. We have to make sacrifices. Some of you would say, well, I don't have the confidence to get this done. Well, we just read like 35 times, he is our help. He is our help. He he must help us in these commitments. Some of you would say, well, I don't have the support. I need a support system. Well, I would say if that's your your thought, just look around the room. Here's your support. We're going to do this together, encouraging one another, accountable, to one another. Some of you say, well, I don't have the power to get this done. I have the strength. And I would say, neither do I. Neither do I. And this is why God gives us his spirit and his grace to fill us and to equip us and to enable us to honor him. So we will fulfill these commitments, listen to this, by number one, depending on his grace, number two, encouraging one another through accountable relationships, and number three, understanding, don't miss this, that it's going to take hundreds of little daily decisions to see this vision fulfilled. It's waking up in the morning saying, God, you are better than what's on my schedule, what's on my desires today. God, you are, you are worth me investing time in someone else to see them grow in the faith. You're worth it. But it's making those daily decisions of investment with your life. And so what's gonna happen is this. Micah and the, and the praise team are gonna come up and they're gonna start to lead us in a, in a time of song. And, and what I want us to do is, is to listen to the words that they sing, okay, okay? And as you're ready, perhaps you're ready on the very first word that Micah sings, but perhaps some some of you may just want to listen and just reflect until your heart is really there. And with your heart, you can sing these words that are a prayer to God that are going to be about surrender, surrendering our lives to God and his intentions for our lives. So let's not miss this. We have an opportunity every day, every year in our church, in our lives, to see the greatness of God, and then now to live to show his greatness. And so that's what I want to invite you to do today as we sing and respond to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your glory that you display to us. And Father, we pray that that these moments would truly be moments of surrender. God, I confess that I... I like to have control of my life. I like to plan out my day. I like to have my calendar all fixed up for the week. I like to, 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 to do my own thing. And so, uh, Lord, I, I pray that, that we would just surrender control. We would surrender maybe desires that conflict with your desires for our lives. And that we would just say, God, you're, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. Whatever you say goes for my life. Lord, would you help us? Would you show us how we can respond appropriately to you to live lives of worship? We pray this in Christ's name, amen.